Thanks for pressing play. This is Milena Regus with the Unhustle Podcast, a podcast where we challenge hustle, busyness, burnout, stress, always-on mentality, and life in the fast lane. A podcast where we transform lives, inspire change, and shift perspectives. A place where we redefine a new, or shall we say, an old way of living. We share stories of people who will inspire you, challenge you, and motivate you to unhustle, claim back your time, follow your dreams, and live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Thank you for joining us. Now let's dive in. Today I sit down with Rod Francis. I met Rod during my training with the Human Potential Institute. Rod was fundamental in creating that program together with Dr. Mark Atkinson. And Rod is an amazing individual and I have gotten to know him over the course of the program. He's deep into the mindfulness world as well as coaching. Rod is a professionally credential with the International Coach Federation He's also an associate member of the International Positive Psychology Association. And he's a professional member of the American Mindfulness Research Association. But what I really love about Rod is his gentle way of talking, calm demeanor, and wisdom. And I'd love to share with you my conversation with Rod Francis today. Let's... Uh, Jump into that conversation. Here's Rod. Hi, Milena. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm super excited you're here. And um, let's kick it off. Um, why don't you share your story with us? Obviously, uh, you were one of the coaches and main program developers for the Human Potential Program. And that's mm -hmm. how you and I met. And mm -hmm. so I have gotten to know you. A little bit and um, obviously being Australian mm. um, I have that affinity <laughs> but I would like you to share your story um, with our listeners with regards to how did you become how did you get to that stage of designing the human potential program and how did you get to be this master coach that you are uh, well, you're very flattering uh, and that's a clearly a big question in many ways and it depends on how far back we want to track but uh, I think in, in many ways what, why I'm doing this really tracks a long way back in my history in uh, living in Australia in uh, growing up in you know, a relatively privileged background and, and going to a pretty good school that was aiming to set young men up for careers in business you know which was often the trajectory um, and certainly the gender traje trajectory in those days, um, and yet being a, a relatively confused young man and not really knowing what I wanted to do. I had no real sense of what direction I really wanted to go in. I, I, um, I kind of wandered a, a little aimlessly uh, initially when I was very young, and, and then somehow I, I got it in my head that uh, I wanted to do something very creative, and I, I uh, happened through a, a, just a really interesting set of circumstances um, find myself moving from my hometown of Brisbane down to Sydney to, I was originally going to try and uh, audition for the, what's called NIDA, which is uh, the, the National Institute of Dramatic Art down there. And I was 
I was actually taking, uh, involved in a whole lot of activities. I was running my own uh, small performance group and um, I found a lot of meaning in what I was doing. And then I happened to um, come across uh, um, dance and uh, I just, as part of my actors training, I was got very involved in that and found I had a really natural ability for it. And uh, rather than going to, into acting, I, I got uh, auditioned and got accepted into the National the Australian Ballet School. Um, and that really formed my, my direction in my career from, you know, a relatively young age. Um, and it was one uh, that was like a, a wonderfully fitting garment. It, it felt so appropriate to me. Um, it, it's a really interesting career to choose because, you know, financially you're not really rewarded. Right. You know, it's got nothing to do with what you earn. In fact, you know, dancers, I, there were times I went and worked for nothing for people simply because I wanted to work with someone who I thought was incredible and, and, mm. uh, and the reward was in just simply in the ability to engage and, and engage in work that felt so meaningful. And uh, particularly like all uh, physical endeavours, that uh, finishes at a certain age. You know, you can you can go on, and there are certainly dancers who do go on, but but the price you pay becomes exponentially higher as you as you get older as well. Sure. And uh, I transitioned out, but I was still I was a little lost uh, for quite a while. And and it as I reflect back on my life, it 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 had a you know I really felt quite aimless again, um, and uh, seemed to be kind of reaching out. I went back to college. I, I went to to try and uh, study and. Uh, and I got it in my head that, um, that was, I think it was through meeting an accountant uh, who said, you know, you should really maybe go and set your own company up. And so I thought, well, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll do that. I'll become an entrepreneur, which I did. I was living in London at the time. Uh, I'd been through my dance career. I'd travelled a lot in the world. I, I was uh, working in uh, this country, in, in the USA, in, in uh, Japan, in, and, and a lot through Europe. And uh, so I set up this company when I was in London. We we're a design-based company and, you know, we grew and it, it, it seemed to, all the business experts seemed to say you're doing a fantastic job. And, you know, I got to a point about seven years down the line and I really happened to just find myself asking that classic coaching question of, you know, why the hell am I doing what I'm doing? You know, like what... <laughs> the big why. How did I end up here? You know, yeah, this is... <laughs> And, and what, why this is so relevant to the early part of my life is that there was a sort of really interesting comparative analysis that went on where, where I could really see that the, the life I'd somehow found myself into kind of made sense in one level, but it didn't make sense on the deep felt level to me. It wasn't meaningful. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. something I wanted to do, you know. I, and, and when I, I, I sort of held that question of if this was what I got now for the rest of my life, would I be happy? Absolutely not. This is not what I wanted to do. Um, and, and it became really clear that this, this life of meaning, even though it didn't carry the financial security, which the second life had much more of that about it, but very little meaning, that somehow uh, there was another path in life. That, um, and, and my journey into coaching, I, I'd always done a lot of um, personal and spiritual development processes all the way through my life. I, I began meditating uh, in my early 20s, um, that's quite a long time ago now, and I've been very, because I was a dancer, I was always very physically engaged in my health and, and you know, fluctuated to some degree. But And very connected but I, with your body at the same time. Because and, and that was the other thing. Yeah, that feeds into what I do now in coaching because I, I work very much with this whole person view and that we are not just a, a thinking box on top of the shoulders, but we're a body that is also uh, a, a 
form of embodied wisdom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how did you, how did, what do you recall the, uh, the process? Was there a specific process of how you went about trying to figure out that meaning and that purpose and that why? Or was it more like over the years kind of developed? <laughs> well, yes, I do remember. Uh, I remember because I, I, I was I was literally driving across London and and I'd had all of these issues that had come up with with projects that we were running and and uh, and that's where I just stopped and thought this is this is not right. And uh, at that point, um, uh, Mark, Dr. Mark Atkinson, who's uh, the director of the Human Potential Institute. Uh, Mark and I were already pretty good friends, and so I had a I had a good person to go and sit down and go, you know, something's got to change here, and uh, and um, and I knew there was a figuring out process, and part of that figuring out was was coaching. So I I, I actually um, had some avenues to explore that with co- with coaches, but but um, I very quickly chose to enter a coach training program. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it just—I—I I, I also knew that I needed to get some professional training. Um, I knew that this was something that I was really interested in. I was actually thinking of training as a psychotherapist at first, but I realised that I was less interested in working with pathologies and and what was wrong than I was in helping to move people towards their best self, towards something that was a, 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 an improvement on where things were. So. So part of that was exploring the process of meaning and purpose to look at how important that was in, in my process and, and to explore what was meaningful for me in my life, which, which actually is what I'm doing now, you know, helping mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. To, to change in the way I did. Was it scary to make that transition? You know, I, I'm really letting that land because, um, I mean, the... the on one level, yes, and on another level, no. So, you know, on a, on a sheer pragmatic level, on a practical level, yes. You know, there were – I, I literally walked into my office and said, okay, you're either going to buy me out or I'm closing the business. You know, there, there's just two options. And that, that was – they were pretty dramatic. You know, it was a, a very dramatic move uh, to take, but it felt absolutely – my body, it just felt right. I knew this is what I had to do. And uh, you know that transition was was very expensive. So on a on a pragmatic financial level, yeah, but on a on a deeply felt level of my being, no, it just mm-hmm. always it and it always felt like this is what I need to keep doing. Right. So we share a little bit of commonalities with with regards to that story because I feel like I I just went through that same change in my life you know and and decided that after doing digital marketing for 20 years Hmm. I'm shifting gears and saying yeah it's great to share someone else's message with the world but I feel there is more meaning and more purpose for my own good and and what I want to do and the light I want to shine in the world and so I made that transition and as you know Hmm. part of it was very helpful um, to be in that human potential program and you were very instrumental in, in getting me to come up with the name and it's scary and people keep asking me, okay, you, you know, you had this long career and, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're pivoting and you're shifting gears and you're going in a, di- in a different direction. So people really want to know how do you overcome that and how do you, from a pr- practical standpoint, mm-hmm. What do you do? Because it, it's, you know, 
financially it's scary it's a scary yeah. it's a scary thing yeah. to do but then when you think of well, what 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 would I want to say on my tombstone at the end of my life? <laughs> oh. And are you proud of that? Yeah. It's it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, well, they are the big questions, aren't they? You know, if if somehow I had the announcement from my doctor that you know, gee, Rod, you, you've actually got thirty days left to live. How would you spend that time? You know, if I was to have some to read the obituary of my life, I mean, this is actually a great coaching exercise. And one I've offered to clients sometimes is, you know, you could write two obituaries and one is the life as it would play out untouched at the moment. And the other life is the life that you could live. Uh, Mm -hmm. So great exercise. Yeah. And I think you're speaking to these two different levels there as, as well that. Um, it is all well and good as at the same time that we connect with this deeper sense of meaning that we 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 begin to rewrite a larger story of our life and one that's really um, infused with these sense of meaning and purpose. But by the same token, there are practical aspects. And I think that's where really good coaching comes in, is that we need to address all these levels. If we're going to transition, what's the plan? How are we going to cover the costs? You know, we might have families, we might have all of these commitments and uh, and we've got to be um, practical about that. We don't want to go. We don't want to go bankrupt. Right, right. And and you and I did something fairly drastic, where where I think for a lot of people that could be a more gradual process, and it could absolutely it, it could take you know a few years to get there. Yeah. But there's always that. What small step can you do today so that a few years from now you can be there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, let's talk about, I'm really intrigued about your mindfulness, um, mindfulness experience, mindfulness mm. practice, mm. and especially how that affects your daily life. Hmm. Well, I, I mentioned I, I started practicing uh, meditation when I was very young and I was introduced to, I had to, just a good fortune, I had a, a community of friends, uh, several of whom were yoga teachers. And, uh, and so the, the yogic meditation practices uh, I got introduced to at that age. And, you know, they were, they were very much what I would call concentration practices. So, you know, they have, they have a particular um, uh, leaning in what they're trying to cultivate, mostly the calming and stilling of the mind. Um, and there were, you know, other sorts of techniques that I experimented with along the way. And then uh, somewhere around about just over 20 years ago, I, I began to explore um, Tibetan Buddhism and the, some of the meditation practices of, of that path. Um, went and sat a couple of retreats. And then uh, I just, uh, it, it just wasn't my path. You know, I just said, you find ways that you really connect with. And instead, I, I had a really good friend in London who, um, who had been a long-term practitioner of uh, of um, of, uh, of Buddhist practices of mindfulness? Uh, they come from a tradition of Buddhism called Theravada, and uh, and and so uh, I really connected with those practices, and I uh, I began to sit retreats in that tradition and found a teacher, and um, and uh, that has become a, a, a deeply wound in part of uh, my life, actually. You know, that uh, often when we talk about mindfulness somehow, you know, it's a, it's a very popular term these days. It's a, a term that is um, co-opted to mean anything to do with just being here now. And, um, and in, in, in some ways that's a, that's a kind of aspect of it, but it's a very small aspect. And, and in fact, you know, the mindfulness and certainly the training I teach um, is... 
uh, is the what we call the four foundations of mindfulness. So they they are the foundations of the of the body and the felt experience and all the processes of the mind, the mental phenomena and thoughts and uh, likes and dislikes and everything that we seem to know and uh, understand is our human experience. So they're quite they cover quite a vast terrain and uh, and the, the practices of calming and stilling are part of that. Uh, so too uh, the pra- uh, is the um, so we have calming and stilling and concentration as one element of mindfulness, but another element in uh, certainly in my domain of practice is how we investigate this uh, experience of the world that we constantly have and how how uh, how we end up reacting in those uh, interactions with the world um, and the reactions uh, are pretty stressful in themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's how we generally, it's not just because we sit and get calm and create a nice calm space that the stress um, uh, shifts, a stress response shifts, but it's actually when we're still and calm enough, how we're able to investigate the habitual nature mm-hmm. of our, our reactive way of being in the world and, and uncouple from that and find a different way of responding. Yeah, I can tell you that I completely changed the way I go about my days and my life. Mm. And, you know, I was trying to to meditate before the program for, mm. for many years. I got more consistent with meditation um, when I discovered that you could be comfortable to, to, in order to meditate. You don't have to necessarily sit cross-legged on the floor because that's Absolutely not a comfortable not. position <laughs> for a lot of people. So that changed my meditation drastically. Right. You know, I could sit actually on the couch and meditate if you want to. Right. Um, but then the mindfulness training that we did with you guys and with Erin Wu was fantastic. Yeah. And then I continued with another uh, eight weeks, eight or ten weeks training with Tara Brach and Jack Kornfield. Mm-hmm. And that was also really good. And I, mm-hmm. I notice a big, big shift in the mm-hmm. way, and it's exactly the, in the way I react mm-hmm. and in the way I just go about my days from, from a perspective of being centered and grounded and mm-hmm. just, just being a lot more aware. And that mm-hmm. has really helped me manage stress in, in such a powerful uh, way. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not supposed to coach my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I haven't, but I do see a, sh- a difference between the two of us and um, as to how he reacts and how I react mm. with, with, with things. And so we talk about it, you know, mm. openly. And it's been absolutely phenomenal from my own, from my own experience and well-being. Mm. I do try to incorporate it in my daily life. It's not necessarily just um, sitting on the floor, but it's also going for a walk in the morning and connecting mm. with nature and, you know, mm. even mindful work. How you know? How do you practice that through, through your day? And um, and just there's a lot of different small habits that I developed mm. since our training that help me just stay very focused and creative and mm. and in the moment. Yeah, there's a, an an important aspect of what you're raising there, which is that we can often think that mindfulness is this thing I do when I'm sitting calm, and then then there's life. And actually, the 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 sitting calm and practicing that way is important, and it helps to establish the quality. But the but in order that we can then go out and practice it in everyday life, and that's why even in the training. Uh, that um, you came on with the the institute and really most of the trainings that I or my wife and I run, um, 
that we we constantly invite people to find ways that they can integrate that they can be just more present in their life whether it's driving a car or traveling or brushing their teeth or and just build those out so that mindfulness becomes the default setting in the way we are in the world not just something that we go off to in order to sort of calm down from all the crap that goes on in our life right right even to the point that i'm determined that if 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 i get stopped for a speeding I'm going to ask him Heaven to just give, give, him, give me double the fine because I shouldn't be speeding. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I admire your ethics. I'm not sure I'm quite, quite at that point. Um, um, one other thing I'd just like to um, raise for your listeners as well, which I think you pointed to really well, and, and that's that um, not only is it the posture, you know, that we can get in our head, oh, I've got to be sitting a certain way or I need to go off or, or that I need to have this really calm environment, you know, if the neighbour's mow is going, oh, I can't meditate, it's terrible, that, that it's actually all of this that we get to work with in mindfulness meditation. That's the important thing. And, and so too with the process of thinking, you know, that we also, I, I so often hear as a teacher, oh, I, my mind didn't shut up the whole time, you know. Well, well it may not. Right. And it, that's not what's important. That doesn't mean you're not meditating, you're not mindful. It just means that the mind is busy. And, and what we're then developing is how, we able to, uh, how we're able to be in relationship to the mind without being bullied by it. Right. There's actually a, a Netflix series at the moment that just came out on the mind. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's five different series on the mind. And one of them is on mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. And there's some pretty powerful st- stats and studies mm-hmm. in, in that series. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you deal with a lot of uh, leaders and executives, and so I'm wondering if you could share with us just some things that you notice in, in a way of trends um, that or challenges that people deal with. I'm, I'm fairly certain that they would be very similar to what the Unhustle listeners struggle with. And maybe without, obviously, you, you, ha- you have to work with every person uh, with their own challenges, but maybe there are certain tips or practices that you could share that would be beneficial to everyone? Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm actually um, heading off to Phoenix to speak at a leadership conference at the end of next week and I'm going to to be talking there. The the theme of the conference is about um, what's, you know, we're we're now being, uh, what's now been spoken about is the fourth industrial revolution, which is kind of what we're in at this point with the the move into the online world and AI. And what that means for us as humans, as leaders, as organizations. Um, it, it seems to me that the that the problems that we face as humans, whether they're in organizations or out, um, whether this century or three century or three thousand years ago, seem to have been the same problems very often. And that many of them stem from the nature of our minds. So I think this skill of, of mindfulness, not as a way of just becoming calm, but as, as a way of better understanding um, what's actually going on for us inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, I think that's a good place to begin because, um, not, you know, these, these practices are often spoken about as practices of wisdom, you know, that, that we... Um, so in, on one level, it means that um, unless you're mindful, you know, say, for example, you're reading a book about something, if you're not mindful, you're not taking in the information. So you're right. not learning anything. You're not going to get wiser. 
you know. So being mindful in that circumstance, whether it's reading a book or being present in a meeting or whatever it is, is going to support you getting becoming more wise. It also helps us to see um, the discursive mind as simply one data stream. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might be an unusual concept for many people, but it it simply is the way it is. Once you begin to really befriend the mind and pay attention to it a lot, you begin to see that it kind of is its own process. But there are other ways that we know, and you, you certainly will be aware of those. I know you will because we also introduce a lot of these concepts in the training program. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a lot of this, uh, we might kind of know this other information as felt sense or intuition, and, you know, often we can disregard this information. But, but we all know it's not to be disregarded. You know, there are, there are many times when um, you have a feeling about something and mm-hmm. it's proved to, proved to be right. It's proved to be wiser than what you kind of, you know, your mind should be telling you one thing but your gut's telling you another thing. So there's other ways of knowing things. And, and this, these are, um, this, this talk I'm going to give, the first component I'm going to talk about is a component of wisdom. And that's mm-hmm. one area that I'm talking about if we bring more of this online, more of the whole person online so, so that we get all the fantastic analytical mind and what Dan Kahneman, the Nobel laureate, might talk about as system two. You know, I can't remember if it's system one or system two, but the, the implicit, the intuitive system. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a great scientist called Gigarenza who's from the Max Planck, Planck Institute and he talks about intuition as, as another form of cognition and, and, and this is pretty commonly held truth in the field of cognitive science these days. Um, uh, George Lakoff from Berkeley University um, says, goes as far to say that it's a rule of thumb and co- cognitive scientists that 95% of our processing and, lang- and, and, uh, and um, thought is unconscious, is subconscious, right? Mm-hmm. So this thing of intuition and that kind of area, there might be a lot more than you think going on in there. So how would somebody tap into their intuition? Get calm. That's the first way to do it. You know, you, that's why these skills of calming and stilling and paying attention in a certain way is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an, a whole body of work from, particularly if you're an organisational uh, person, whole body of work out of MIT by a guy called um, Otto Sharma. He runs a thing called the Presencing Institute and has a, a piece of work called Theory U, which is a, a new organisational model to meet this new fourth industrial revolution. And, and his model, the you, is really a process of getting calm, of, of engaging the heart. Of, and it all sounds a little fluffy and woo-woo, but when you bring it together with this cognitive science and you, and you try this stuff out, uh, it's pretty awesome, the results you can get. And uh, Sharma offers a compelling um, system, uh, stru- structure for, uh, for organisations to, to meet and uh, there are many uh, large organisations around the world and governments, uh, government organisations that are that are um, that are integrating Theory U into their into their uh, into their manage, management and organisational model. Well, I find a study that was conducted in 2014 that basically asked people would they rather sit alone with their thoughts for 20 minutes or get electrocuted. <laughs> Oh and, yeah, and they opted for the electroshock. Yeah, most which, most people go for electrics. Yeah, which you know, and it's exactly. And I actually just spoke with somebody at our retreat, and and she she agreed. She said, "Why would I? What would I do for twenty minutes?" So I think it's you know, people search for that for the distractions, and that's why 
going to your phone right away. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's in a search for information, distractions, approval, mm. dopamine, whatever it is mm. that's going on with that mm. scrolling and clicking. Yeah. Um, and in the, but in the meantime, you're missing out on that connection and that calm sense and tapping yeah. into your intuition. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is true. It, 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 it does all of this. You know, the other part is that when we're in more of that parasympathetic mode, so when the mind's running away and the, there might be, might be getting being critical or there's sort of anxiety-prone thoughts, and often it is anxiety-prone because we are, seem to be factoring store with a, what they call a pessimism bias, you know. So often our minds move over to what's going to go wrong. And what that does is it heightens the stress response the, the, in, in the parasympathetic, as you know. And what that means is it starts to close down executive function, right? So mm-hmm. our, our, most, um, our, our most brilliant creative, you know, the, our, our capacity to be more creative, to, th- to, to, to think um, more out of the box, to, be, to, 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 to operate from, from uh, a more uh, mature mode of being, to bring all of our learning online, is down-regulated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. intrinsically. So, so that's also, a, you know, when we, uh, when we just learn to, uh, we train ourselves not to be so bullied by, you know, and that the, the, this, this kind of discursive mind then becomes simply another source of data. Mm-hmm. rich data and a fantastic analytic tool for processing. Um, but we have other ways of being, other ways of being in relationship to that than much more of us is available. So what would you say to somebody who's in that, in that constant state of stress and anxiety? What are some ways, practical ways that they can, um, A, see if they are and B, get out of it? First of all, feel your feet. Feel your okay. feet on the ground, feel your butt on the chair. You know, one of the, the best things, because, because we, we, we tend to, um, when we're in that mode, it's like the world closes down and we suddenly live inside that and it literally feels like it's up here. You know, it does. We, we talk about talking heads, you know, but it really feels like we close down into that. And, and somehow just the geography of taking the attention away from that location Mm-hmm. To, to suddenly go, oh, feet on the ground, you know. So for a start, when we're off running away in the mind, um, we feel, we would use the word in English, ungrounded. I feel really ungrounded, you know. I'm flying away somewhere. Well, ground yourself. So, so how we do that, we pay attention to the ground, where we're connecting. Mm-hmm. Once we do, you know, we feel solid. We feel more connected. And so we, we take our attention there. And, uh, and then, you know, just perhaps begin to notice the whole body a little more. So notice a, a bit more global uh, experience and, and awareness of the body, but still recognizing the grounding, recognize that the body, you know, the body is a self-organizing organism. It's homeostatic, meaning that it will find its own place of ease. And so, you know, if it didn't, it, it would be um, finding its way in gravity off center and falling over. It doesn't. So, so your body, you, you are grounded and you are centered. Mm-hmm. We just need to recognize it. And, and then I would just say it, it's always helpful to tune into the breath, but if you're feeling a little anxious, offer yourself a couple of longer out-breaths. And there's some pretty interesting data. It's, you know, that, that the heart rate variability that we all know is the sort of predictor of health these days, um, that, that on every in-breath is a slight um, uptick in the, sympath- the sympathetic, uh, 
the sympathetic nervous system, I think I, I reversed that when I was talking about, uh, I said parasympathetic comes online, it's the sympathetic that comes online. I was talking about earlier. But so, yes, um, the, the anxiety response is the sympathetic. So as you breathe in, a slight sympathetic response happens. As you breathe out, a parasympathetic response happens. So slightly longer out-breaths helps to take the par bring the parasympathetic more online, brings a little more ease. And uh, so, uh, so the same with before when I said it was the um, parasympathetic, it is the parasympathetic we want online to bring executive function online. Yeah. Beautiful. Excellent. Thank you so much. I actually went uh, into that biohacker group as well and I asked them like, what do you guys, what are your best ways for, for dealing with stress? And I probably have... 200 responses that I'll end up, you know, putting in the sure. PDF and, and getting it out to the world. But yeah, breathing, like you said, so critical, getting grounded. I mean, these are easy things that are completely free and everybody has access to. It's available in, in every moment. Yeah. In every yeah. moment we can do that. And whether we're in um, difficult situations around a board table or, or around a dinner table, wherever it might be, um, these can be all managed simply by grounding yourself, recognizing the body and breathing. Right, right. Now, how about let's talk, you're going to a, a conference um, in Phoenix and it sounds like it, they are touching on that whole world of, of connectivity and, and online space and i know a lot of the people listening to this podcast are probably in that area i mean it's true i mean technology is starting to control our lives technology could be great like you and i are having a video conference right now as if we're sitting in the same room at the same time technology could could completely destroy um your, your focus and your creativity and, and your sleep and, and all these things that follow from that so i don't know if you work with people who um, struggle with this kind of stuff um, or or not but um, what are your takes on um, what's happening in our world from a technology and information perspective and how do we as how do we maintain our humanity in all of that yeah that's great uh, a great couple of questions there and um, you're right it's a it's a one of our greatest assets and at the same time one of our greatest challenges and uh and I think there's a couple of areas that um, one could respond to this type of question with, and, and one's really simple. And I think the simple answer is that we're looking at the, you know, the, the hardwired nature of, of our addictiveness, you know, our, our inbuilt addictive nature as humans. That, that, and, you know, a lot of technology is, is giving us reward, um, in the long term, might not feel like a reward, you know, but but it's it's compelling, mm -hmm. and and uh, you know whether it's a Facebook like or you know whatever it might be, um, and and we just keep we keep coming back for more, and that's what our dopamine system does for us as humans. Uh, so I think it it sits in the same realm of of any addictive possibility that we have, and, and to be honest, I think we all have some version of addictions, and uh, and we're somewhere on a spectrum of that. Um, so so that's one one way of, uh, and probably the most important way of considering how we might manage this, mm -hmm. um, because you know certainly we need to uh, first of all be honest about what our use is, you know, that are we sitting up uh, watching yet another rerun of Friends or whatever it might be, you know, that, so that right. people are, are watching um, simply just because it's a feel-good 
you know. Um, maybe it feels bad because to, to consider waking up tomorrow morning. So it's mm-hmm. better to, to eat into this um, and just keep the pleasure going as, as for whatever that might be. I, I think there's another um, aspect of this, and there's a, an, another uh, researcher from MIT called Sherry Turkle who, who um, wrote a fantastic book called Alone Together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been reprinted. It was, I don't know when it was initially written. It might have been in the early, early part of this century. Um, and she talks about um, the way we're constructing personas through, um, through, through social media in particular. And the danger that has for us, that in a sense we, we kind of lose sense of, of, of who or what we really are. You know, we end up constructing a, a kind of persona and, and in many ways live through that. But, but there's a dissonance because it's not, not how we really are. Right. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so there's a lack of authenticity and that's the dissonance. And, and it's, it's, it's felt deeply, that dissonance. You know, there are, we, we hear, um, commonly hear that there are particularly young people who, who kill themselves because of this dissonance or because of the bullying as a result of this dis- dissonance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another thing that we really want to consider, um, you know, what, what this is all about, this, this need to, to be something perfect um, that's right. never going to happen. Yeah, I don't know how much time you spend online, but I do. And, and you know, I work with some people and I know, I know what, what the postings are online and I know what the personal lives are. And, and yeah, there is a... There is a a somewhat of a discrepancy and I think that we like I said technology is great but how we use technology is not necessarily that great and all that com- competitiveness yeah. and comparisons yeah. and and um, um, striving I think is we need to overcome it um, yeah. and I think you're absolutely right I think it's an addiction problem yeah. but it, again it goes back to the mindfulness and to being aware yeah, of yeah. what what you're doing and what's going on yeah yeah in order to take the steps to deal with it. I think also in that title of Turkle's the alone together is something really profound. And, uh-huh. and that's also at the heart of this, that, that if, if these things are tools for greater connection, then, then they're really serving a wonderful purpose. You know, as we are, or I get to connect with my mum and all those kind of things, it wouldn't really be that easy if, if we didn't have this, this, this type of, uh, this, this ease of connection. But if, if the connection is not authentic, you know, it's creating that dissonance, then we really do have a problem. And, and this, this thing of connection is one of the second fields of competencies I'm talking about to leaders because I think this is essential mm-hmm. for us, whether we, you know, just as humans, because we're, we're not d- designed as solo critters. You know, we're not meant to be on our own or, or to be isolated. We, we're designed as, as kind of to fit in an ecosystem of other humans in a social system. And that's how we function best. That's, that's, that's what's needed for, you know, a, a, aloneness, the feeling of being alone, you know, mm-hmm. is, is, is heartbreaking and devastating. And, and, and there's compelling data um, to show that it leads to early death and lots of sort of psychological pathology. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's another thing that um, if, if, we're, if, if, if it's becoming a tool of separation, then it's not it's not helpful if it's becoming a tool for greater connection, then yeah. 
Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and especially yeah. with younger people, you know, that it's it's such a there's so many studies out there showing that social media creates social isolation. It doesn't actually connect you with, with other people. So all that time that you could be spending on social media liking your friends' posts, you could actually pick up the phone, connect with somebody and have a conversation one on one or meet with somebody for a coffee, which is a real real world connection versus the Instagramming and the Facebooking and all and or, or, or even sit on Zoom, but do it heart from heart. Let the real right. person show up, you know, right. and don't and don't disconnect from yourself because that's also what connection's about. Right. Is, you know, like like be be okay. Bring your real self forward here, yeah, rather yeah. than the persona you'd like to be. You know, in the in the in the in the Instagram posts. Right. Right. What's on the horizon for you, Rod, with regards to the Human Potential Program or any other endeavors that you have coming your way? Yeah, I've got, well, I've got the conference coming up, but I'm just at the same time, uh, I'm just launching a, a next level coach training program with, uh, with the Human Potential Institute. We have our Human Potential Coach Training Program, which is, uh, um, we have accredited with the International Coach Federation for um, what they call uh, an, an ACC, which is the the first level of, of credentialing with the with the federation, and uh, this next level program uh, is is called emergent coaching, and it builds on a lot of the skills that some of the skills we've been covering. You know, so uh, it's it's a way of integrating many of these um, ancient, traditional, or you know, kind of well well-known ways of, of uh, bringing the whole self online. But, but there's this huge field of cognitive science that's exploring some incredible frontiers here and the areas of uh, the science of embodied mind and science of embodied cognition and embodied intelligence. Um, so I've integrated a whole lot of the, this work and developed it into this piece of work called embodied uh, and called uh, emergent coaching. And, it sounds uh, interesting. When would yeah. it, when is it going to launch? It's going to launch, I think, on the fifth of October. Oh, it's coming up! Really yeah, soon. yeah, yeah, very soon. So we're 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 scrambling away like ducks, you know, with uh, busy legs under the water, and <laughs> and the above is looking as placid as it possibly could be. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there's a lot going on in the background around that, and it's it's been a piece of work that I've been well, it's been emerging. Shall I say? <laughs> uh, and uh, that's been happening in the type of work I've been able to integrate into the human potential coaching model. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And um, is there anything else you would like to add to this conversation? Well, I think we've covered some really interesting ground, and and uh, <laughs> there's there's always more to be said, I'm sure. And maybe at some point we will we will connect uh, more. But it, it feels like this is a really good. We've covered some fascinating stuff and I really appreciate the opportunity to explore some of this with you, Milena. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rod. And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can either find me through the Human Potential Institute, which is www.humanpotentialinstitute.com, uh, or you can come through my personal uh, if you're interested in coaching, for example, then you just find me, it's really easy, rodfrancoscoaching.com. Right, Francis Coaching, and I'll link that in the uh, in the show notes as well. Thank you. And it just uh, occurred to me that uh, for people who are not interested in coaching, the Human Potential Institute also offers a program for not necessarily coaches too, right? Indeed. Yeah, we have. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure about be 
uh, be unlimited these days, but we certainly have uh, the psychological fitness has just been launched as well. So there are other offers uh, that people can come along to, even if they don't want to learn to be a coach. And, you know, we, we have a lot of people who do take the coach training program and, they, and they'll say, I, you know, I don't really want to be a professional coach, but, but I love what's going on in here. So that's yeah, also well, something to consider. And personally, I had no intention of becoming a coach. I mean, that didn't even um, occur, uh, wasn't mm. a thought in my mind. I made mm-hmm. my decision to sign up for the program um, in 24 hours. I didn't mm-hmm. really have much more time to think about it. The, what, what, draw, what drew me to it was basically the holistic approach to um, to human performance, like you say, mm-hmm. you know, it, because it was an all-encompassing. It wasn't just yeah, nutrition yeah, yeah. or it wasn't just yeah. mindfulness. So it wasn't, Correct. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't everything. That's and right. that's what drew me to it. I wasn't planning on, on really, um, really getting into the coaching thing, um, mm. but that is coming very uh, helpful with an hustle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm very thankful for that. And um, from a human optimization perspective, yes, if somebody wants to, to go to that program, I think there's definitely mm-hmm. um, a really good value in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Rod. Good luck with the conference in Phoenix. And okay. uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. And good luck with the new program that you're launching. I'll check it out. Thank, thanks very much. Thanks. Goodbye. Hey, you just listened to our conversation with Rod Francis. I will include links in ways to get in touch with him in the show notes. Go ahead and leave us a review um, if you enjoy the show and connect with us at unhustle.com. Stay unhustled, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Unhustle podcast, a place where we have real, unedited conversations on the topics of hustle, burnout, stress, life in the fast lane, and more. We hope you enjoyed it as much as I did interviewing our guest. Connect with us at unhustle.com and follow us on social media at unhustle experiences. Thank you for listening today. Stay unhustled.